In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. And so this word through the prophet Joel is before us this evening, as it is every Ash Wednesday. And we think about and consider repentance. And it's more than just stop doing what you're doing. That's part of it, to be sure. And also, you'll hear at times the word repent means to change directions. But that, too, doesn't fully capture what the scriptures teach us it means to repent. Just simply stopping behavior, just simply turning from it, are certainly part of repentance. But the Lord goes further today, and he speaks through the prophet Joel. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. And so repentance goes to the heart. It goes to our very existence, our very person, because from the time of our conception, we are sinners. Psalm 51 says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And so God reveals to you a heart that is impure since the fall into sin. And from this impure heart, then, we see the symptoms of actual sins that we commit outwardly in our lives. And these point us back to our original sin. And we do these things because who we are from the time of our conception, we are sinners. And so we aren't just simply sinners because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners. And we're reminded of that as we start this Lenten season. Anyone who denies original sin and that we don't have to learn how to sin has never been around children for more than two minutes. And that's who we are apart from Christ. But still, these actual sins, this original sin, all of this, the sins we commit, they all deserve hell. And even that desire to do those things is sinful. Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount that inward desires like lusting after a woman or hating our brother, they make us guilty of adultery, of murder. Our hearts, our desires, and our bodies do pretty seriously damnable things. And these things all deserve hell. Now, for the unbeliever, then, repentance worked by God is a turning from unbelief into faith. We see that in kind of a broad or general sense of repentance. And it's to be crucified with Christ in baptism and to rise to new life. Now, for you as a Christian, you have been cleansed from these things. The epistle reading reminds us of that tonight. And baptized into Christ, you are forgiven and you have what Jesus has accomplished for you. But that old man, that old Adam, still hangs around your neck so long as you are in this life, and you are headed toward death. Those ashes on your heads remind you of this all too well. And on Sunday, the, the Old Testament reading from Genesis 3, when God tells Adam that he is dust. And so living then as a baptized child of God, 
one who has been cleansed, but yet still has that old man in this life, you daily turn from sin and you desire what God wants for your life. Confessing what Romans 6, 4 says, the small catechism sums it up well, what it means to live our baptism. It indicates that the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires, and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. So when God then calls you as a Christian to return to him, he's calling you even to repent. He's calling you to contrition and faith, which is what repentance is. And that first part, contrition, is to have sorrow over your sin. You look at your life, and you lament those things in thought, word, and deed, which go against God, which go against his word. And you have a terror over them because you see that they do deserve God's judgment of death and hell. You know where you deserve to spend eternity because of your sin. So you confess it. You want nothing to do with it because this isn't who God has called you to be and made you to be in the waters of baptism. Jesus speaks some words in the gospel reading today that tell us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so the Lord shows you where your treasure is in your life and where your heart is. The heart is connected to this. And it goes for our sin as well. Think about how sinful man tries to view his sin and what his heart treasures in his life. And rather than, as the Lord has called us to return that we've been talking about, rather than confessing it, rather than crying out for mercy, as we heard last Sunday in The Blind Man, we embrace it. There's a new edition of the catechism that we've been using in confirmation class. The translation is not new, but in the back, the, kind of the, the part that's not technically the small catechism, they have the, the little resources. And one of the things that they kind of emphasized in this new thing is this whole understanding of identity, for better or for worse. It's, you can kind of debate whether or not that's be the case. But when we think about that, when we think about what we've become and how that term is thrown around often. And as we'll see in our study of the Ten Commandments this Lent, what we've done is our heart tries to identify itself, not by who God has called us to be, not by who God has made us to be, but by the sins we commit. And it could be said of any of the Ten Commandments, as we'll look at this season, but just the common worlds in the world today. I mean, you will hear people say that they identify as being pro-choice even though that's a clear violation of the fifth commandment. It's killing children. Someone may say he, he is a homosexual, going against the sixth commandment. Someone might say he's too busy for this or that, breaking the third commandment, or any other things. But how ridiculous is this, that we define our lives by our sin? That's not what God calls us. We become so desensitized to these things, we don't even flinch when we hear them around us. And maybe even we've defended these things, saying that they're out of a person's control. But perhaps then no one should be in prison because maybe a person is simply a thief or a killer. That's just who they are. That's who they identify as. Quite a fascinating thing. I've only been a pastor for six years, so I'm an expert in all things now, obviously. But 
But even the confirmation kids, how we talk about this has just been interesting, even in the six years that I've been a pastor. Because we now in our world and in our lives treat sin like we treat a preference for a sports team. And Lord, have mercy on us for being so apathetic, for so flippant towards sin, flippant toward the things of God. But it's nothing new. The prophet Joel was speaking to the people who needed a wake-up call, just as we do. Here God's people were defining their lives by their idolatry, by their false worship of God, and not as they have been called to be God's people, set apart from the world, different, his own treasured possession. And so these words in our reading today from Joel chapter 2, God through the prophet, he calls them, return. Return to God before you're carried off by the Assyrians, before they face the day of the Lord, before they face the Lord's judgment. Come back to your God. So when we want our sin to define who we are and be that the thing that which we are known by, and when we refuse to repent of it, well, we should fear God's wrath. That's for all of us as Christians, for this isn't who God has called us to be. And so then thinking about this, to confess our sin then is to place it onto Christ, who bore it on the cross. It's to abhor that which Jesus died for, and to see him as the one who alone takes that which righteously condemns us and dies in our place so that we have peace with God. And so we see that second part of repentance is faith, which trusts and clings to what Christ has done. Having been terrified in our sin by the preaching of God against it, we are brought to our knees. We need mercy. And Christ, that redemption from sin has happened in the Lamb of God who, who died on the cross, and that now in him there is forgiveness, life, and salvation, this Lamb of God, pure and holy. So then there's real freedom in this, freedom from these things, rather than slavery from sin. There's freedom to really live our lives because you know the truth of the gospel. And as Jesus says in John 8, you know the Son, and the Son has set you free. So then we live this life as Christians. We live it out. Our saving faith bears fruits. The fruits of repentance that we live are the way that we do live changed lives. On Sunday, we'll hear about the fighting against temptation and the victory that is in Christ as Jesus stands up to the temptations of the devil. And tonight, St. Peter instructs you that your new life given in Christ, he shows you what it will look like. Here again, part of the epistle reading, because God guides you in this as Christians. He's talking to Christians. He says, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, dear people of God, dear Christians gathered here tonight around God's holy word and holy supper, your Lord forgives your sins, and your Lord brings you back to himself. Return to him as the prodigal son returned to his father. Turn away from sin, from death and the devil, 
Don't be influenced by the world around you, the lies of Satan, and even your own fallen flesh. See your sin, be terrified of it, and know where that path leads to. Rend your hearts, which rending is a ripping. They used to rip their garments. They used to put ashes on their, fore, on their heads. That was a sign of repentance. But don't just make it an outward show. There's a rending of our hearts. It's a painful thing. But you see, you listen to God. And in Christ crucified, you know God's mercy. A broken and contrite heart he does not despise. For he says, your sin is forgiven and I have paid the price. And so we go running back to him. We return to him. He opens up his arms and embraces you with his grace, mercy, and peace. For those wonderful words tonight before us, he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And that's what God preaches to you this night as Lent begins. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. But you see, the Lord of heaven came down and walked among the dust. The first man, Adam, was made from the dust and returned to it. The second Adam, Christ, is the faithful one. For if, we be, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And so Jesus became man to be obedient to the Father, to take the filth of sin, to take all of its consequences, to suffer God's wrath, which rightly burns against it, to die the death for you and rise from the dead for your justification. So now, maybe, though you, even though you still are dust, and to dust you shall return, you have a God who doesn't leave you in the dust, but the God who raises you up, raises you from the grave in resurrection glory. The God who, even though you are dust, marks you with the sign of the Holy Cross. And your treasure then is now is with Jesus, the one who alone is the priceless treasure that can't be destroyed, no moth, no rust, not even a man can take it away from you. Living in repentance and faith as his people, you hear his voice, the voice of your good shepherd, you follow him through this life. And he has given you a clean heart and renewed a right spirit within you. You're not cast away from his presence because you have Christ. He defines who you are as he has called you by name. You are a Christian. You are his saints. You are his holy ones who live holy lives here in time and forever in eternity. And you are the ones who he feeds with his gifts and sustains you along the way. He's jealous for you, and he never lets you go. And so we return to him who has come, who has done all things well. And so we come, we taste and see that the Lord is good, that he who is slow to anger abounds in steadfast love. Amen.